Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode 36. What's going on? How you guys doing? Happy Sunday. I am late again this week, as I have been several times of late. Late of late. Been really busy at work, you know. Uh, Work is turning into like a real thing. And uh, on top of that, I had a lunch this Friday with some friends. uh, You know, some people I've known through the industry through the years. Well, one guy I knew through the industry through the years. It also happens to live in Chapel Hill. We've gotten lunch a couple times now. And he wanted to introduce me to another guy who... uh, is in the biz, so to speak. So we got a really good lunch at a pizzeria place in Carborough called Mercado. I hadn't been to. It's delicious if you live around here. And um, it's kind of cool. The guy I met this week, he he used to be in the accessories business, like iPhone and iPod accessories. And we used to do a lot of work for Griffin Technologies back in the day. And I was like, oh, so do you know this guy that I used to work with at Griffin? And he's like, I do. And it was very, you know, that was all very interesting. Uh, yeah, so, you know, meeting people in tech down here, it's kind of cool. Uh, but I've been late because of work, mainly doing a lot of interviews for the hiring. And, you know, there's just like momentum there. So there's stuff to do. In the old days, uh, my coworkers at like 2.30 or 3, they did sips and shouts. They sort of stopped working for the day on Fridays and they would you know, gather around and talk and and drink. And I I try to do that on Slack with them once in a while, but it just doesn't really work. So I generally have like some time free on Friday afternoons, which is why I do the podcast, but uh, it's not been working out. I've really just had a lot to do. There's a definite momentum change going on at that company there. I'm on my new schedule at work. Speaking of, I spent two nights in New York this week and now I get a week off. I don't have to go to New York this coming week. That is very exciting. Uh, and then the week after that, I go for two more nights. So I will be in New York occasionally where I'm not exhausted. That is very exciting. Also, it will do wonders for my weight loss because, you know, I right now, for example, it's Sunday. I will, I'm down. I've lost all the weight I gained in New York this week. And I will have normally I would have Monday to lose some more weight. And then I go to New York on Tuesday. So I never really make a huge dent. It's just sort of maintaining. But I'm hoping with a two-week cycle, I then have six days to lose a bunch of weight before I go back to New York again. I didn't gain any more weight in the two days in New York than I did in the one day in New York, so that is promising. We shall see. We shall see. It was nice. I uh, went to a political fundraiser at a fancy house uh, in New York this week on Monday. I saw some old friends. Saw my friend Rex and Caroline and Elizabeth and Peter and Lindsay. And after the fundraiser, you know, we talked to the candidate and then we went out to a bar and it was just like 2006 era New York. We talked about politics. We talked about tech. It was a great time. Most of us are just old and have kids and we never go out anymore. But uh, I really enjoyed it. That was super fun. The fundraiser was fun. I've been to a few of these fancy fundraisers through the years in New York. Went to Elizabeth Warren's first fundraiser ever in New York, like back when we lived there, Em and I did. Uh, but yeah, they're fun. It's a good time. And, you know, you get to ask questions of the candidates and you get to like sort of see what their positions are, which things they're serious about, which ones are just sort of towing the party line. 
Uh, yeah, well, you know, so that was fun. And then, uh, let's see, I don't even remember what I did Monday night in New York. I saw, I, I got stuff done. That's right. I got stuff done, uh, helped recruit a candidate. I'm very excited about if we can pull off or close We're close. That's a, that's a promising one. I don't want to jinx it. So I won't talk about it yet. And I met up with a couple other dudes about a new project and not new. been going on for a couple of weeks. It's a tech project, but, uh, it's not a, I wouldn't say it's a money making thing. It's more like a, uh, a tech giving kind of thing. So maybe that'll pan out a little bit more to talk about at some other later date, but not yet. But anyway, yeah, two weeks in New York or two days in New York, two weeks off. It's pretty exciting. Um, um, we'll see how it goes. Anyway, I also went back and went back to like episode 10 and copied my file format to use for this special episode 36. So Hopefully all the crazy settings that Jane messed up on the mic and everything have fixed. I, I think I got everything working again. I got a new way of storing the mic so Jane doesn't really mess with it. Uh, hopefully that'll work. It's a lovely day today. Lovely weekend. I went and did my errands both days this weekend. We took Jane out and out and about in the world. She had a great time. I was... Uh, at the Walmart buying produce and this guy walked by yesterday. I was wearing my 4AD t-shirt and he, I was standing there trying to choose between flat and Italian parsley. And he was like, nice shirt. And I was so excited because nobody ever comments on like cool shirts down here, except for weirdly when I was in the 4AD shirt that one time at a party in Raleigh, but that was with friends at a party. So it was less of a weird thing, but this guy just walks by and he's like, cool shirt. And I'm like, thanks, and trying to like, maybe I'm going to make a friend, you know? I mean, I'm like in the North Chatham Walmart. This is pretty exciting. But he just walked by. He just walked by and kept walking away, didn't stop and chat. It was just like the time when I saw that dude with the Spaceman 3 shirt on Bedford Ave, and I was like, cool shirt. And he goes, thanks, and he just kept walking by. People just don't want to talk. Like, it's the whole point of wearing, like, cool, weird shirts is, like, people are supposed to chat with you. And I thought that'd be better down here, but it's it's not better. So that was a bit of a bummer. But, you know, Jane and I, we manage. We have each other. <laughs> so we just went to Harris Theater and bought some Tobo Chico and some turkey and 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 and, and moved on with our lives. Yeah, I mean, you know, what are we going to do? She's doing good. She seems to be exiting her cranky period. Like, she's been in this really cranky period when you change your diaper the last, like, two or three weeks. And it's been really annoying because she's, like, super wiggly and cries and screams when you wipe her butt. And it's already an unpleasant enough task to, like, wipe her butt. But the last two days, she seems to be, like, kind of over it. You know, there's no visible rash or anything. And she just started doing it. And it's like, you feel like you're hurting her, but you can't tell why. And it was really upsetting. But like most baby things, it seems to have passed. Uh, she's learned the word shoe, 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 whenever she puts her shoes on now, which is super cute. She says bye to people and things all the time, mostly at appropriate times, but sometimes when we're coming or we're just moving around a little bit, but she's definitely getting the hang of it. And it's weird. It's unnerving because she says bye exactly like an adult. It's like, bye. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, you sound like an adult for that one word. <laughs> it's really creepy. It freaks me out. Uh, but she's good. She's good. I spent a lot of time with her this morning. I had to do a lot of computer stuff that was mostly video watching. We'll get to that in a while. But like, she was just sitting on my lap. And it was great. We took a lot of photos. And yeah, Jane's doing awesome. She's doing awesome. Let's see. Music. Sold three things this week. How pretty exciting. I sold Galaxy 500's On Fire, the original Rough Trade pressing of the CD. I sold Amusement Park's On Fire out of the Angelus. 
Uh, and I sold a copy of Neptune's Studio Recordings LP, which is a Arch Enemy release. I still have about 10 copies of the Neptune vinyl with the limited edition sheet metal cover. And somebody bought one of those. Very expensive to ship sheet metal, as it turns out. I've decided it counts as media mail, even though it's got a sheet metal cover, because it is effectively a record. That's cool. I was glad to sell one of those. Neptune's pretty popular these days, but, you know, like, I don't, like, Arch Enemy doesn't own the catalog to this stuff anymore, so it's basically new old stock, and I just sell it like used CDs. And uh, there's not much left of the Neptune vinyl. It was a very limited edition to begin with, so, you know, I think there's four or five left. Uh, I haven't put it back on Discog since I sold that one. I should do that today. But, you know, it's a great record, by the way, if you've ever, if you've never heard Neptune Studio Recordings. Not sure if that's out on Spotify. Let's check. It is not, but I highly recommend it. So I guess, whoa. Ah, yeah, I got some weird stuff going on with the mic there. Sorry about that. I highly recommend it. Uh, you can buy it for me. Galaxy 500, uh, that was a bummer because I totally thought I had all the original pressings of the Galaxy 500 vinyl. I have the first album on Aurora Records, the local Massachusetts label that originally put it out, and I have the vinyl of This Is Our Music from Rough Trade, and I could have sworn I had the the On Fire vinyl. There is no Aurora vinyl. I guess they signed a Rough Trade between today and On Fire. So now I don't actually own a copy of On Fire, which is very upsetting, so I'm going to have to buy it. It's like $50 for the Rough Trade pressing. There are reissues on 2020 might buy that but I'm so close I have like the singles everything else on the original vinyl for Galaxy 500 so I don't know I might have to suck it up and buy the rough trade vinyl instead of the Aurora 2020 vinyl we shall see and Amusement Parks on Fire I love that band it's like sort of shoegaze from the period when shoegaze wasn't popular when my band was shoegaze like before you know Black Rebel and people like that brought it back and we have this whole world of shoegaze that is back in our lives and even all the shoegaze bands like slow dive and ride came back but uh, amusement parks on fire were keeping it real in the middle years and they are a great band and i listened to that record again and uh it's awesome i might actually buy them on vinyl someday they are pretty solid but probably not we shall see i'm starting to get a little uh uh, have a little anxiety about how much vinyl I have and starting to think it's a waste of time. I don't know. I'm going to a bit of an existential crisis there. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but I seem to have ignored it this week because I bought the Wolfgang Press Queer on vinyl because I sold the CD. And so I bought the limited edition vinyl, original 4D pressing that came with a 12 inch. I really liked that period just before Ivo freaked out and ran off to the woods of the desert of, of New Mexico. He, a lot of the Wolfgang Press releases and Guernica, their side label releases, are coming out with bonus 12 inches. Uh, Dedicated was doing this a lot too, with spiritualizing cranes and things like that. But you know, it's the whole phenomenon of you buy the vinyl, you get a bonus 12 inch, and it was a way to kind of keep vinyl alive during the CDs were dominant period. Uh, and I have a lot of those 4D Guernica and Dedicated 12 inch or LPs with 12 inch bonuses. Uh, sometimes the seven inch, like the ultra vivid scene album came with a bonus seven inch, something to eat. It took me forever to find that in the pre eBay days, but I did. Uh, anyway, so I've been listening to queer by the Wolfgang press again this week. It's a great record. I, you know, mama told me not to come time, uh, not as intensely morbid and, 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 and hardcore as their earlier stuff. Uh, but it's a great record nonetheless. And, uh, you know, I, I talked a lot about Rima Rima last week, which is an earlier band incarnation of the Wolfgang press. And there's an intermediate incarnation mass. I already own all that vinyl. I haven't listened to mass in years. I 
We'll probably listen to Mass this weekend. Get back to you on that. Also, f- circling around from last week, I my Joanna's House of Glamour Farewell Street Vinyl came in. I haven't listened to that again yet, but I was just listening to Joanna's House of Glamour and The Pull of Autumn a lot last week. Rhode Island, early 90s, mid-90s, sort of uh, goth. But, uh, you know, not, not dreary, intense goth. Kind of like uplifting, beautiful goth. They were a great band. They really were. Uh, and let's see. My Vinyl Me Please subscription came in, and it was a really beautiful repressing of De La Soul's Three Feet High and Rising. That's on today's to-listen-to list. And uh, the new Zeno and Oaklander came in, courtesy of Deus Records. I say courtesy as if it was a promo. It was not. I bought it. I did get one promo from Gibby at Deus once. That was really nice of him. But uh, I paid for this, and I'm very excited to listen to it. I love Zeno and Oaklander. I've seen them live a bunch back in Brooklyn when they were on Ghostly. Sam and I would go see them a lot. Uh, but I haven't listened to this new album yet, so we shall check that out. On the Spotify, the non-vinyl listening this week, I, got, I listened to a lot this week. Uh, let's see. The new Faint, Ego Work, gave it two listens yesterday. It is a Faint album, and it is good. Uh, you'd think the Faint would sound dated, but they don't. It's a really good record. I strongly recommend it. Um, Nikki, <laughs> one day I'm going to decide if, I'm, if he's Nicholas or Nikki on public-facing uh, podcasts. But anyway, uh Nikki recommended a couple bands to me. Absurdist, uh, A-B-S-R-D-S-T, all caps. Listen to their record, Imaginary Friend, which is a very interesting title because Absurdist reminded me a lot of Freeze Pop, kind of mixed with a little bit of Glitchy. And their last album was called Imaginary Friend as well, so I'm wondering if the whole thing is an elaborate... Uh homage but i definitely see a lot of affinity from between absurdist and freeze pop uh, i listened to what chaos is imaginary by girl pool because i thought i had listened to this whole album and i talked about it on the podcast back in january because i listened to a four song ep called what chaos is Imag- is imaginary and i was very confused because i was getting a lot of reviews as an album but it was only on spotify as an ep and it turns out i was just too on it and the album came out sometime in the intervening two months, and I didn't listen to the whole album. So I finally listened to the whole album. I will say they picked the four best songs to put on that EP, though. But the rest of the album's good, but uh, nothing groundbreaking beyond the kind of... What is that sound? Oh, great. My wife is washing the deck above my head. I didn't know there was a deck above my head. Oh, nope, she's outside. Let's, let's take a look here. Oh, she's dragging a picnic table the old picnic table that used to be in the back of secret clubhouse and she's dragging it off the concrete into the mulch bed and i don't know why but it looks kind of picturesque there so maybe maybe that's the right thing to do (laughs) she's literally setting up the picnic table in the mulch bed behind my window uh okay well we'll check into that later uh, then I listened to the f- the new Foles record called Part One. Everything will not be everything not saved will be lost. Uh, sorry, I took a little pause there to adjust the mic a little bit more. I know I was uh, clipping there a couple times and to watch my wife patiently level the picnic table in the mulch bed. She's adjusting the mulch levels on each foot to make it all flat. I don't know what's going on. It's kind of funny. Anyway, the new Foles record Part One colon everything not saved will be lost is fantastic uh i always thought fools were okay and i know i've mentioned on the podcast recently because one of the vinyl me please reissues was a fools record and uh you know because i'm realizing a lot of the reissues on vinyl me please are time to new releases or movies or something but uh and so that one was probably to remind us that fools existed in advance of this new record but this new record is fantastic i mean it's just it's really good i i i 
I can't say for sure if it's beyond as good as the as Foles used to be, or they got a lot better. But I just this record really really did it for me. Really did it for me. It is solid. Kind of reminds me of early Yaysayer meets uh, Mellow No Age. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. I think a lot about my this band meets this band descriptions of music on this podcast and how it's for a lot of people those probably make no sense. But how do you describe music with words? You know, it's tough. It's tough. Fools dark, intelligent, white guy brooding music, which is relevant because I listened to a band called Broods that are not brooding with a new album called Don't Feed the Pop Monster, which was really great. Um, I The singles have come on in my my starred rotation when I'm driving around and I love them, but I don't actually remember the whole album, so it deserves a second listen, but it, it's it's climbing up my charts, so to speak. And then I listened to another Nikki Digital recommendation, Bertrand Bergiat, The Sound of Music, three S's, three M's. And that is a weird interesting record smart person music intense that guy is a producer rock <laughs> you know very well crafted very intricate very intelligent very interesting then i listened to the new shaka khan hello happiness and it is awesome it is shaka khan everything you want from her it is a great record man she's keeping the prince torch alive there i strongly recommend that if you want some groovy groovy awesome rock and then i listened to the Marin morris record girl Marin morris is a new country star um, people are obsessed with her uh, from a cover of the record, a cover of the record, I thought it was a pop album, but it turns out it's a country album. It's pretty solid. There's some really good, there's some swinging, swinging uh, jams on there, but it's only gotten one listen from me so far. Although a couple of the singles from it, I've been listening to earlier in the year, so you know, I, I recognize a couple of them. Reminded me a little bit of that H E R lady that played on the Grammys this year that I got into for a while in February, but like a country version of her. But the the hits are catchy. The hits are catchy. And then I listened to the new album Brickbat, the debut album Brickbat by Poroshka. Poroshka is basically uh, it's Mickey Bernanke from Lush. It's her new band. She sings and it's backed by the guitar, a guitarist from Modern English and a guitarist from Moose and the drummer from Elastica. You've probably heard of Modern English in Elastica, but you may not have heard of Moose, which was a, were a vastly underrated slow dive band back in the 90s. They were wonderful. I loved Moose. I was obsessed with Moose. This river would never will run. Will never. This river never will run dry. Is one of my favorite slow dive songs. I mean, <laughs> I can't even talk. It doesn't sound like slow dive. It's not. It is not slavishly imitative shoegaze. It is one of my favorite shoegaze songs. They kind of a country twang to them on their first records. Uh, I saw them open for the Cocteau Twins in '92, maybe '91. Yeah, it would have been '91 uh, on the Heaven or Las Vegas tour. First time I saw the Cocteau Twins. I saw them later on that tour. I saw three times on that tour. I mean, it was the same one. The openers I saw on the Heaven of Las Vegas tour were Moose, Mazzy Star, and Galaxy 500. I think Moose may have played the same show as Mazzy Star. It's a little fuzzy in my brain. Luckily, I have all this written down somewhere. Anyway, Moose are great. They had a lot of albums later that never came out in the U.S. Highball Me, X, Y, and Z. I think Moose are on Spotify. If they're not, they're definitely on YouTube. Uh, give This River Never Will Run Dry a listen if you want to check out Moose. Anyway, Proshka sounds a lot like, uh, you know, it sounds like Lush, honestly. Not not the full-on mod era, uh, you know, Brit rock era of Lush, uh, stylistically and genre-wise, it has evolved again to sound something sounds more modern, but it's exactly like what you imagine Lush to do in the way that they always kind of kept up with the times and shifted genres as humanity unfolded. <laughs> so, you know, 
Uh, it's as good as a new Lush album as the new Slow Dive is a new Slow Dive album. So let's say that. It's great. Turning to television, I've been watching our fair share of MSNBC this last week. I needed to see Manafort get sentenced to more prison time after the first judge kind of crapped out on that. And uh, we did a, a little bit, but more than that, we were rewarded with the 16 counts that the state of New York indicted him with after the two sentencings in Virginia and uh, D.C. So that was nice. Checked in on Gates, saw that he's still cooperating. Checked in on Mike Flynn, saw that he was still cooperating. Uh, then, you know, the New Zealand shooting happened. I didn't really want to spend too much time on that. So, so we comforted ourselves by watching Broadchurch, which is a show about a murder of a child. So, yeah, it was a really good way to cheer yourself up from a, from a mass shooting news Everybody told us Broadchurch was great. Emma keeps a list of things that people say are great that we try and watch. And as we had finished The Crown, which was good, it was good. I give it a B plus. Uh, we, you know, I love David Tennant, and uh, yeah, I thought he was one of the highlights of The Crown. So we're like, all right, we'll give Broadchurch a try. My friend Sean is really like, Sean really likes it. Other people said good things about it, and I do like it. But I'm a little frustrated with it. But we're not even done with the first season series i guess they call them there which is more accurate than season if you think about it you know we're only on episode six so maybe it'll turn around for me i i give it a b plus too i am not completely like oh my god what happens next but i i, I think it's very good um filch the guy that plays filch and harry potter plays an old man in Broadchurch, and he is fantastic and i didn't know he could be such a good actor and it broke my heart that guy is just amazing and uh, a lot of minor Harry Potter characters in this. <laughs> Charity Burbage is in it. And, of course, David Tennant played, uh, you know, uh, what was David Tennant's name in Harry Potter? Oh, my God. Barty Crouch Jr. Ooh, rusty on my Harry Potter trivia. Better go to a trivia night. Bone up. Anyway, uh, enjoying Broad's Church uh, and the Orville as well still. Uh, we have an episode to watch maybe tonight, but we're, we're kind of binging Broad Church at the moment. So we'll get to that. Uh, not a ton of TV uh, movies. Uh, I watched two movies. Watched Captain Marvel last Saturday, which was great. I was very happy to see it did so well at the box office, and the sexist haters were crushed. Uh, I, it was it was a solid to better Marvel movie. It was not of the caliber of the first Avenger or Black Panther or Ragnarok. I think those are the three best. Uh, Marvel movies, but it was very good, and uh, it was interesting all the way through. The plot structure was interesting, actually, which I, I found very great. The soundtrack was fantastic. Uh, speaking of Elastica, <laughs> no lush, though. And, uh, you know, as a lover of 90s music, uh, they had the Rid of Me cover from PJ Harvey in there, and then Smash Pumpkins. Those are just visuals, Nine Inch Nails. All the music was women. Garbage, Elastica. Uh, you know, that band, what everybody loved that I didn't like in the 90s, what were they called? The I'm Just a Girl Band. No Doubt. Never been a big No Doubt fan. Couldn't get into them. Ska, wasn't into Ska, then they went pop, wasn't into pop. But anyway, great soundtrack, great movie, interesting interesting uh, advancement of the MCU plot, specifically around the one of the Infinity Stones. That's probably not giving too much away, right? Uh, raises a couple more questions about that, though, but, you know, we got Avengers Endgame coming up very soon. And then yesterday I went to see Captive State. Yesterday it was really hard, actually. I, there were, you know, my parents were like, you can watch a movie. And I'm really taking advantage of that. They're going to leave in April and I'm not going to be able to go to these 11, 12 a.m., 11 a.m. noon movies that I've been doing the, all 
a winter here. So I take advantage of it when I can. But it was interesting because there were four movies that came out this week that I kind of wanted to see. Two of them were instantly ruled out because they didn't have an 11 o'clock or 1 o'clock showing. And that was The Wedding Guest, the new Michael Winterbottom film. I'm a giant Michael Winterbottom fan. And a cool 70s sort of Mexican drug war film called Birds of Passage that I I definitely want to see. You know, it's hard. The Silver Spot gets everything eventually almost every good foreign and indie film but a lot of times they only stay for a week and they don't put them in a showing that i can see and birds of passage and the new winter bottom film the wedding guest starring dev patel of lion are only afternoon films so i don't know maybe i'll take a half day off on thursday or something and go watch one of them uh and then the last one i do kind of want to see is climax the new gaspar noir film but I talked to my friend Josh Bisbell, and he's like, yeah, that wasn't really my cup of tea, and I'm not, I'm not like the biggest Gaspar fan, so I, I made a game time call. At the time, I made the game time call, because just purely based on time of showing, because of when my parents come over, they're not coming over till this afternoon, because they go to church on Sundays, and I was like, okay, well, I'll watch the earlier one this time this day, and then I can watch the other one the next day if I want, but I got too much to do this weekend. I really overestimated how much I could do this weekend, so... I'm not going to see Climax. If it's around next week, I might go. But of course, Us is coming out. The new Jordan Peele film is coming out next week. So I don't know how I'm going to fit that in. So there are three films I might not get to see. I'm a little bit bummed about it. They all look very, very good. Uh, Yeah, but Captive State, I did go see instead. And it is fantastic. First off, I believe in supporting any independent, not independent, new IP sci-fi out there. You may recall I went to see that Keanu Reeves movie. God, nobody even remembers it. I can't even remember the name of it. Replicas. I had to look that up. Anyway, you'll recall I even went to see that. I firmly believe if there is a new IP, non-sequel, non-derivative sci-fi movie that makes it to your theater, you should go see it because it's rare and we want to support that stuff. They're not always great. They're usually, in fact, I find they're like usually pretty good and then they kind of mess up at the end. I, I point to you for evidence of this theory. Films like Oblivion, which was great at first and then sort of petered out. Edge of Tomorrow, renamed Live, Die, Repeat, which was great at the beginning and then kind of petered out. And the last film by the Chappie guy, Elysium, also great for quite a while and then kind of petered out. But uh, Captive State delivers to the end. It is a great film. It's almost more like Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy set in sci-fi, which, as you many of you know, I've been obsessed with the idea of having a Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy type film in the Star Wars universe, because Kathleen Kennedy has said she could see other genres happening in the Star Wars universe. And if she is looking for an example of that, Captive State is where it's at. That movie is fantastic. Uh, not a super well-known cast. It has, um, you know, a couple people you might recognize Vera. What's her name? Farmedia, Farmedia and John Goodman, but that's it. I didn't really recognize the other people in it. Uh, and it's, it's the plot that like can confuse you at moments and it's hard to follow and they don't really necessarily breadcrumb it all the time. They keep you on your toes, which is great. And it really makes you think. And I loved it. Captive state. If it, if it shows up near you, give them your money or watch it on video later or something. Anyway, it's recommended, recommended turning to books. I finished a couple books this week. Uh, Oh my God. I didn't even write one down. Okay. So I finished on freedom, the cast Sunstein book. Uh, I think I mentioned this last week. I was almost done with it. Didn't really add a lot more. It's sort of an expansion explanation of nudge into philosophical territory. We talked about that short and solid, not a lot more in the last 30 or so pages before last week. Then I read a wizard of earth sea by Ursula K. Le Guin. I feel like I read this 
when I was young. Uh, I feel like I was really obsessed with Earthsea books when I was young, but upon rereading it, I didn't remember anything about it. But it was still very, very good. Uh, you know, substantially better than the Wrinkle in Time books, if you ask me. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I, 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 I liked it sort of... It, 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 symbolism was a little, you know, it wasn't overtly Christian symbolism like the Ringland Time books. It was, oh, come on, man. It's Saturday. Do I really need to add the do not disturb on my computer on a Saturday? I guess I do. Anyway, really, really liked it. Then I read Talking to My Daughter About the Economy or How Capitalism Works and Why It Fails by Giannis Veracuvis. I'm sorry, Varoufakis, Yanis Varoufakis, who at one point was the finance minister of Greek Greece during the giant Greek default talks with the EU and Germany. I don't know if you followed that stuff. It was a major financial story a couple of years back. He was also at one point the chief economist of Steam. <laughs> No, Valve, the company that owns Steam, doing economic PhD research onto the virtual currencies in their worlds, which is pretty fascinating. Uh, PhD economist, taught for a long time at University of Texas. He is now also started his own political party and as well as an umbrella political organization for progressive political parties around the world. He's partnered here in, in America with Bernie Sanders on a, an organization. I am not a giant Bernie bro, but I got no problems with his policies and uh I read this book because I'm always looking for economists, especially like well-credentialed economists that are ready to break out of the mold and explain why all this stuff is garbage that we're experiencing. And Giannis Varoufakis seems to be one of the furthest along. Also, I have a daughter and I've had in the back of my head for a long time about economics children's books for her. <laughs> I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but I'm obsessed with the idea of making children's books out of things like Irving Fisher's The Money Illusion and stuff like that. So I wanted, you know, clear Really, uh, I'm on to something because this famous economist has made a book called Talking to My Daughter about the economy. And it was good. It was good. Gets a little, um, goes a little wobbly in the later section, if you ask me. Uh, Very focus is probably more overtly socialist than I am, uh, which I view as simultaneously more and less radical as the things I think in my head, but I haven't really like enunciated because I'm looking for smart people that agree with me and I haven't really always found them. I think we all know that feeling. Anyway, it is a great book. It's essentially a great primer Primer on, I don't think there's ever going to be a day in my life where I don't say that word both ways every time I could be the president of the United States sitting in the Oval Office giving a major speech and if it had the word primer, primer in it, I would say primer, primer instead of one or the other. Anyway, if you feel like a little rusty on macroeconomics and the way the world works from a capitalistic point of view, that is a great quick read. It's only about 200 pages. Uh, you don't have to be a daughter. You don't have to be a youngster to read it. It is, you know, I know a lot of friends that are always like, I'm a little confused about economics in general, and that's a great place to start. It is a great sort of start here with economics kind of book. Uh, and then I picked up Suck Dog, A Ruckus by Lisa Carver. If you, <laughs> where do I start with Lisa and Suck Dog? Uh, Lisa's an old friend of mine, but not as old as the period where she was a in a fairly well-known slash notorious noise punk avant-garde feminist band called Suck Dog in the late 80s and early 90s. And uh, she is now a very prolific writer. This is her 12th book. She's working on her 13th. I own several of them because we have been friends since the mid-90s. And uh, careful listeners may have noticed that she is also the person that edited my Star Trek book for me. 
And uh, anyway, I she had a zine when I first discovered her back in the early 90s. It's actually interesting. I discovered her because I used to read the zine in, out of L.A. called Ben is Dead. And Ben is Dead wrote a very long review about a suck dog show. And I... But I was reading back issues of Ben is Dead and Suck Dog wasn't around anymore, although they played in Boston a lot. But I think there was probably one or two shows that overlap right when I first got to Boston. But I was definitely not avant-garde or hardcore enough to know about a Suck Dog show in 1991. So I missed the Suck Dog period. And then she had a brief band with Bill Callahan, who she was dating, Bill Callahan of Smog, that was called Roller Derby. But that band kind of just sort of petered out, but it became her zine. So I knew her from the zine era. She had a zine called Roller Derby in the zine days, and I would read Roller Derby all the time. And then I met her at a party, and a friend of mine started dating her, and then they got married, one of my best friends at the time, and then we stayed friends forever. They got divorced. They got married again a couple years ago. I shot the wedding. We've stayed friends. And so I decided I would read this Suck Dog book because I read most of her books, and I, you know, it's always a little unclear. I knew that, like, she knew Gigi Allen. I knew she knew this avant-garde artist from France called Costas. I knew she'd been married a few times. I knew she knew Boyd Rice. They had a kid, Wolf. I, Wolf's a good kid. I knew Wolf when he was young. Uh, anyway, so I just, but it was always like I couldn't piece it all together. I never knew the whole story, you know. Uh, so I, you know, she's written it all down. So I'm reading it. It's a quick book. It's about 160 pages. It's big, big format. It's got a lot of photos in it. A lot of very disturbing photos. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it really takes me back. And you know what? One of the things I really am noticing about this book is just how insanely sexist the avant-garde scene was back then. And I suspect that, like, you know, I, I kind of do it at the time. In your own head, you want to think to yourself, well, I wasn't sexist. But, you know, you just read these reviews and I catch it now how just like there's like latent sexism in every review, especially of her. And, you know, there's one guy out there that sort of stick out and be like, well, you know, like, why do the people not talk about Suck Dog in the, in the context of these other noise bands? And it's Thurston Moore. He was one of their one of their bigger uh, sort of proponents. And, you know, they never really caught on in the, in the Raya Girl scene. And then she said something else very interesting. I think after about four or five cassette tape albums and a couple other albums out, she, Lisa and, and Rachel, who I knew back then too, although I haven't seen Rachel in ages. She was the other original member of Suck Dog. They're still really good friends. Anyway, they put out an album that was a kind of like a compilation retroactive album of a lot of the songs from their old cassettes. So the only difference is they put pictures of themselves on it, and they were very, very attractive ladies. And suddenly it sold tens of thousands of copies. It's stayed in print ever since. It's been repressed four times on four different labels since then. And Lisa in the book is like, so what was different here? It was the exact same music. The only difference is it had photos of us on it. And you know, once again, you just this undeniable realization of just how sexist that whole scene was back in the day. And that's a little depressing. But it's a great book. It's a great overview of an insanely, insanely avant-garde band. There's one point in the middle of the book where Lisa writes a letter to a guy that's kind of a stalker. Not really a stalker because they briefly dated, but he did what so many men do where he got too obsessive and expected her to give her life up to him. And it's the only time where she really broke character and she writes this guy a letter and it's reprinted in the book that's like her explaining her art and how she does her art and why she does her art because she never would break character back in the day, right? It's this whole unified performance between the music and the opera. She would write operas and they would perform them as shows and, you know, and she would do this on the interviews. Interviews are another avenue of performance. Very, you know, kind of like Lady Gaga and bad brown acid essentially like 20 years earlier, right? <laughs> that's basically what Suck Dog is. 
but this letter in the middle of the book is just fantastic because it's like almost like Lisa's sort of manifesto of art that I've never really gotten out of even as I've read many of her books since then. And it's great. It's great. I'm not quite done with it. I will finish it up tonight probably maybe tomorrow night i think i got about another 70 pages they're big pages though you know what i mean and uh yeah so that's what i'm reading now after this i think i'm done with the short i had a big pile of short books i said last week i was done with the short books but i found four more short books to read and i'm way ahead on the books per week now so i can dive into a long book and i'm going to read naomi klein's this changes everything and that's my next book so i'll probably be talking about that for several weeks i would imagine so you've got the the short hits and now we're going back into a deep dive uh, all right turn into tech do this on Sunday. I don't have any time constraints. I just ramble on forever. Although I guess last week I kept it kind of short for you guys. Uh, tech. So work. Work is intense, man. It is totally crazy. I know I've been saying this for a couple of weeks now that like there's a palpable change in the momentum. We've made many hires. I think I'm closing in on two more hires this week. Uh, so that's been intense. And, you know, I've been involved in several of these hires. I've done a ton of phone screens lately. That's taken up a lot of time. Uh, getting the de each department in the company sort of deep enough bench that the department itself could do a lot of the phone screens from here on out. Tech has got this deep enough bench, but, you know, the other departments haven't historically had it. So somebody's got to do the like hard labor of 20, 30 phone screens. And those guys are busy, you know, so I've been doing a lot of that labor. And uh, we've got some hires, we've got some offers out, and a little bit close on one or two, and try and lock one down tomorrow. So that's been taking up a lot of time. And then also I've just been doing a lot of hiring of outside services, which, you know, like I got to find the different companies to pitch and then I got to like get their proposals. And I, I must, you know, as you know, since I ran an agency for 10, 12 years, I'm a stickler for proposals. So I read in detail all their like SOWs and I find changes in them that nobody's ever suggested. And I, <laughs> I tell them to change things like your, your expense policies in conflict or this here doesn't work with this. Or these two parts of your of your liability policy are in conflict <laughs> i'm just finding all these i'm just like the dick client that i hated back in the day but you know it's got to be done and uh, I've, I've been around long enough to know that you got to dot your i's and cross your t's when it comes to the legal stuff in your in your business I used to be very slack about it and i've learned those lessons the hard way but so anyway i mean i've hired like some I hired this company called Media Link that you may have heard of. It's sort of like a movers and shakers intro kind of company in the ad world. Uh, they're prominently featured in Ken Oletta's last book about advertising. That was called Frenemies. I was really worried that it was going to be in conflict or com competition with which half is wasted. So I freaked out and I bought it and I read it all in a day and it wasn't. It was really about the personalities and sort of the, 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 the personal side of the ad ecosystem these days. And Media Link featured very prominently in that book. And, you know, they've pitched me since the Barbarian days to work with them. They pitched me at the Barbarian Group. They pitched me at Tumblr. I've just always avoided them. But I, I figured it was kind of exactly right for, for Time Hop because we've entered a product, you know, developed a product in a totally different space and time ops. Oh, it's contacts are in the consumer media space. And now we're really an ad tech company and nobody there has ever really worked in ad tech. So we really need Sherpas. So I hired this media link company. We had a big kickoff this week. I hired auditors. So you know, I got my start at Ernst & Young, but I haven't like dealt with audit and 25 or 30 years so I hired some auditors and you know didn't manage an RFP process on that and got pitches from multiple auditors and went with a company I'm not doing a kickoff with the auditors till after tax season though but then, you know I got all the SOW and everything done with the auditors I taken pitches from a dev outreach company which is a whole interesting thing right we're getting our SDK out and we need like 
you know, we have tech documentation, but we need like developer documentation and sort of develop documentation for product people and sort of outreach to, you know, how do I structure a whole engineering outreach? We had like developer evangelists at Tumblr, but they weren't in my group. I've never really dealt with this before. So I'm, you know, taking some proposals from that, hired like uh, formalizing our sort of outbound marketing for time hop we have a great consumer marketing person in house for time hop that handles like our social and our editorial calendar and things like that but you know we also have growth marketing like app install ads and we've that's been very like ad hoc for a long time so i found like a really great sort of agency that can help us do that and then i got emma involved on like making the creative for the ads so we're trying to step up our game there that's another sow i had to manage another pitch process it's just been a lot. I mean, like, it's a lot. And, you know, I was driving home from that lunch on Friday at the pizza joint with those tech dudes from here, and I was thinking, I'm pretty happy. And I had to, like, come to this sort of realization about myself that, like, I might be happiest when I'm managing or peer writing, and I can't really do both at the same time very well. Uh, and work is busy enough now that it's taking most of my time up, so I don't feel like I'm just sitting in front of the computer not doing stuff much anymore. Like, I've got a big checklist again. It really reminds me. It's not overwhelming, but, like, you look at my calendar, it's starting to fill up. If you could, like, take a screenshot of each week of my calendar over the last three years and then make a little animation of it. I did this at the Barbarian Group, by the way. Uh, you would see that it's slowly filling in more, which is kind of an interesting proxy for how busy I am at work. It's just starting to feel like a company, you know, and having all these other people involved and all the people in the interviews interviewing all these people that work in other programmatic places that understand what we've done. When I had that lunch at Tom and Jerry, I'm sorry, drinks at Tom and Jerry's on that new sort of non, I'm not going to say nonprofit, but social good tech project I was meeting on a Tuesday. One of the guys there, this guy, Ryan Brown, he, he runs a lot of the Gizmodo group sort of programmatic stuff. I explained what we're building. It's like, oh my God, that's amazing. And then somebody else recently explained it. And they're like, oh my God, that doesn't exist. That's amazing. It's just nice to hear that, you know? So work has been busy. It's been good. It is, it's a different world than it was before. It's, it's interesting. Uh, in other tech news, I, I today I spent about three hours this morning doing my judging duties for the Webby Awards. Uh, I, I'm really bad about this because Emma taught me a secret. If you filter on your email for the word unsubscribe and things like that and make a smart rule that takes all those and moves them in another mailbox, you basically get all your spam out of your inbox, but it also takes all your newsletters out. So I got this whole process once every couple of weeks. I like go through that folder. It's called all the junk stuff, and I un... I, this is not, this is separate from the automatic spam thing that Google does, right? And then I, I say, okay, that's a newsletter I want. That's a newsletter I want. And I, I tell it not to go in there and I make a rule exception. But, you know, the Webby's are only once a year. So I set this system up probably like 10 months ago. But all my Webby's judging emails have been going to spam. So finally, Angela at the Webby's just emailed me directly. She's like, can you do this today? And I was like, yes. And I had already sort of bitten off more than I could chew for this weekend, which is why I'm doing this podcast at 2 p.m. on Sunday. But... You know, I owe it to them and I love those guys and I, I you know, you sign up for it, you got to do it, right? So I spent from about 9.30 this morning after I fed Jane to about noon when Emma got up judging stuff for the Webbies. And it's actually really awesome because it's like a lot of VR and a lot of like video, you know, for one thing, they all make video case studies now. So you don't have to click around on sites and learn a new UI for everything you judge. That was a thing I really hated back in the day because it was like constant cognitive dissonance. You're like, judge this site. So you click on the site and you're like, okay, I got to learn a whole new nav every time. It was maddening, you know, but now everything's just video case studies or VR. And it's like, you just click play on all this stuff. So I just spent the morning, basically three hours this morning watching like amazing case studies of amazing work and like all these 
these different fields, nonprofit and commercial film. And it was great. I learned a lot. I just sat there with Jane on my lap and we just watched them all together. And then on the, my right hand monitor, I had like photo booth open. And whenever Jane was making a cute face, so I'd just take a picture of us. And I, it was wonderful. And, you know, judging him wasn't hard at that point because, you know, there's like 12 entries, picked the top four, no big deal. And uh, it was very educational. And I was thinking it'd be cool if like I would judge all the time if they just integrated this a little bit more with your TV, like at the mobile app worked and they're all quick time in app because they're not you know, some are Vimeo, some are YouTube, blah, blah, blah. And I could just throw them up on the TV through my Apple TV and I could just vote on my phone. Like I haven't, I would spend like four hours one night watching them all. You know, I did like 20 categories, but there's probably another 50 categories that I could have done. So, so yeah, it's actually really fun. I haven't judged in years. I used to do it all the time and it was very labor intensive and this made me realize it's kind of fun and I might stop avoiding those duties. Although now that I'm in ad tech, not a lot of people care about judging. a lot of ad tech awards that involve watching case study videos, I think. Uh, but it was fun. And then, of course, I would say the other big tech story this week is we had Elizabeth Warren's plan for breaking up Facebook and Amazon and Apple and all of them. Uh, and I, you know, I read this article that was kind of, I think, a very good analysis of it. It was, it was called Facebook is not a monopoly, but it should be broken up anyway. It was by Antonio Garcia Marquez. It was in Wired. You can Google it. Uh, Antonio Garcia Marquez is an early Facebook employee. He built what is now fan Facebook audience network. A lot of their algorithmic programmatic bidding. So he built stuff that's a big part of my life now. Wrote one of the first sort of critical books of Facebook written by an author called Chaos Monkeys. It was a bestseller and he is a pretty vehement Facebook critic these days. I hear he's a bit of a weirdo. He lives on a houseboat. Seems to have trouble holding down a relationship. But uh, it's a very smart article nonetheless. And really what he's saying is that they're monopsonies, not monopolies. It's worth a read. But uh, he kind of described Elizabeth Warren's plan right. He was like, oh, it gets a little tile, like a little wibbly wobbly in the middle, and it's a little, a little messy. But I think in general, it's the right idea. And that's kind of how I feel about it. I think like there's a no-brainer breaking off things like WhatsApp and and Instagram. But then she's got this whole thing about marketplaces, and you can't compete in the marketplace if you're running the marketplace. And she keeps using Amazon Basics as an example. And I'm like, yeah, Amazon Basics isn't really a threat to anyone, you know. And then she won't answer the very real questions about like Apple and things like Apple Mail and Maps and you know pre and like she dodges the issue of pre-installs on phones, things like that. There's some there's some messy stuff in her plan, but it is a bold plan. It is a plan that I think Silicon Valley hates. There's a lot of been a lot of like very very angry sort of analyses of it, and I think that they misjudge how much it really like resonates with other people that aren't in Silicon Valley. I don't, you know, it's a, it's an Overton window moving plan, so to speak. And, uh, you know, the average person that's just mad at Silicon Valley, isn't going to really like delve into the details of marketplaces versus breaking off Instagram versus data stuff. There's a very comprehensive data regulation component of her plan that I think is a no brainer. And we all kind of wish, and it's almost assume at this point that a American version of GDPR is inevitable. I certainly do. Time up is built accordingly already. Anyway, uh, big plan, bold plan. People don't all love it. I'm cautiously in support. I do think basically the fundamental premise that the, the companies need to be broken up, perhaps not blindly all of them, no matter what, but I think there are some arguments to be made, uh, especially with Facebook and Google, perhaps a little bit less so with Apple and Amazon. The Amazon stuff with AWS is very hard to to sort of get around because there's the elephant in the room and the elephant being a literal elephant in this case of Walmart. And, you know, digital is really just a channel when it comes to 
it comes to commerce and Walmart is still a vastly bigger commerce play than Amazon. So I think there's some arguments there, but, uh, yeah. Anyway, I also, you know, I'll say Warren's the only one that's putting out these policies. That was only one of many of her policies around tech and other stuff around income inequality and stuff like that. I'm going to try not get too political in this podcast through the primaries. I believe that we shouldn't bash any of the Democrats, because they might win, uh, we have our opinions, and uh, right now Warren's my favorite, and still, but I recognize she's probably not going to win, I'm going to have to vote for one of these other people, so I'm not going to like get myself very angry about it, and about them, so, but anyway, it is tech-related, and it was, I do think, is a definite Overton window-moving moment when it comes to breaking up the big tech companies. A few years ago, they all thought this was inconceivable, but, like, we see a pretty steady drumbeat moving further and further to people thinking they should be broken up. And, you know, it's funny because a lot of the arguments are like, well, the only other people calling for this are Trump. And I'm like, I think you got an, uh, you make a, you're not making the point you think you're making there because what's really happening is both the left and the right are calling for it, which means that there's not a lot of safe Harbor for you. There are people like Cory Booker that seems really into tech, of course, but there are people on both sides of the, of the aisle that are into this. So maybe, uh, yeah, I think it needs to, you need to not blow it off completely. Turning to projects, uh, well, you know, my agent has just gone MIA on which I was wasted. I've been emailing him. I'm like, okay, I got a plan. I tried to rally myself like I said I would. I, I kept that promise. He didn't even answer, man. So now I'm like, okay, well, this guy's not going to be my agent anymore, I guess. So I got to like get the book back because I signed it over to him, right, to sell. And I don't know how that works. So I got to like call my friend Kate and like learn the mechanics of this. It's a whole thing. But... And exciting news, I'm writing a short story at the moment. It's about 5,000 words in. I was hoping to finish it today, but I'm not going to because after this, I got to go make some ramen for the family. But I'm really into it. I'm really excited about it. Hopefully, I'll finish it this week. It's weird. It's not... I don't know. It's it's, it's strange. Uh, it's meta. It's not meta. It's It's... It's funny, but it's depressing. Uh, maybe it could be all those things in a good way or in a terrible way. It could be a muddled mess or a genius, but I don't really care. I want it to exist. I'm probably three quarters of the way done. I feel really excited about it. It's been a really long time since something just popped into my head. Popped into my head when I got out of my car and I was walking into the silver spot to watch Captive State. And it just it just hit me, and I started writing it on my phone in my seat during the previews. I came home, and I kept working on it. I kept working on it this morning before... Uh, I started to judge the Webbies, and then, you know, it's now I had to judge the Webbies. I got to do this podcast. I got to, like, cook food. I got to do some other chores, put away my laundry, photograph a book. That's a long story. I got a 45-page library book that I need to take notes in, so I got to take pictures of the whole book. So, oh, I guess I'll probably be reading that book this week. You'll hear about that. Anyway, I got a lot to do, so I can't finish the story, but it's in my head, and it's like it's been a while since I've had this feeling where I'm working on a project, and I'm like, I just need it done, and I need to, I just want to work on it all the time. And it's like makes you manic, and it's a little like anxiety-inducing, but it's also nice, and it's nice that it's back, and it's nice that it's happening again. And, you know, I've been a little down on projects the last couple of weeks, so that is exciting. That is exciting.
So that's it for this week. Uh, yeah, these these uh, old EQ settings are pretty good from episode 10, I think. Uh, a little clipping on the mic, but I think we got that fixed. A new way to store it so Jane won't bother it. So I hope that uh, it's fixed. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you're having a lovely week. Uh, hope your weather's as nice as mine, but I suppose it might not be if you're getting a bomb cyclone right now. But uh, hang in there. Take care. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>